0: Assalamu alaikum and thank you so much for downloading this latest episode of the Muslim Centric Podcast uh, It's a brand new podcast aiming to educate, inspire and entertain on all issues related to Muslim life And I'm your host Amanda Rani um, So far we've uploaded a number of khutbas on our channel And they've been by Sheikh Dr Munir Ahmed Who's a former GP and a scholar who is an imam in khatib At the Altering a Muslim Association in Manchester, in the UK And uh, we've been particularly, done a number of talks related to the coronavirus And the impact it's having on the community Because it's such a big issue for all of us at the moment Um, But with future episodes we're hoping to have a wide variety of different types of podcasts Which I'm sure many people will feel uh, are beneficial, inshallah Uh, This episode uh, we're really privileged to bring to you an episode that we did on Facebook Live on the 26th of March 2020 and I'm recording this today on the 28th of March so just a couple of days after um, the episode went out on Facebook Live and it was uh, organized by an organization in the UK called iSyllabus and that's an Islamic educational program which is developed and run by uh, two leading uh, scholars from Glasgow uh, who br- were born and brought up in Glasgow and went and studied extensively abroad, particularly in the Middle East and Syria. Um, and they've been running for over 10 years and they've had over 7,000 students. And the topic that uh, Sheikh Amr, one of the uh, resident uh, scholars there, was doing on maintaining mental well-being in times of crisis. Last week, Sheikh Rizwan did a topic on the coronavirus fatwa fact and fiction And they had a local physician, Dr Nazim Gowri, who answered a lot of questions. And it was a really um, uh, informative session. And Sheikh Amar Jamil, who's one of the co-founders of iSyllabus, felt it would be really important to do a topic on mental health because of the whole stress and anxiety that people have been experiencing in relation to this global pandemic. Um, And so we did a session called Maintaining Mental Well-Being in Times of Crisis – And uh, Sheikh Amr has a lot of uh, experience working in the grassroots community level, both looking at marital and family issues, looking at domestic violence and mental health and so on. And he was joined by two guests, uh, Dr. Saira Dar, who's a GP and wellbeing practitioner, and myself, a psychiatrist. So we hope you find this beneficial. Um, The first half an hour or so is Sheikh Amr giving a reminder and a discussion in terms of how we can sort of uh, Frame and understand the whole um, issues that are going on around us And the latter part of the podcast is related to uh, a question and answer session Which a lot of people had been um, getting in touch with So we hope you find it beneficial In terms of our podcast, it's something that's developing And we hope you find it beneficial uh, There's various ways you can help us is Spread the word if you find this uh, of use and particularly if you're using Apple, an iPhone, uh, iPad, or a MacBook, etc., if you go to the Apple Podcast and give us a rating out of five, that would really help us. Or even adding in a wee comment and share it. But also, if you subscribe to the podcast, that helps us, um, you know, reach out to more people. So that'd be really useful. We're also starting to develop a bit on social media. So you can find us on Facebook if you look for Muslim Centric. Uh, we're starting off on Instagram with the Muslim Centric Podcast. And also you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. So we hope you find it beneficial and uh, look out for more episodes over the coming few days and weeks.
1: Alhamdulillah, ala assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Uh, first of all, jazakumna shukran for everyone um, that is joining us. Inshallah, uh, lots to talk about today, uh, no need to talk about what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. Um, today we want to discuss how do we cope with this situation, this new situation. Not just for today or tomorrow but for the next couple of months as we've been told this is going to continue for some time Um, and in amongst all the, the fatwas and knowing what is permissible what's not permissible is the very human aspect of how do we emotionally deal with these things um how should we mentally cope with it and also what is our tradition telling us what's our mental frame how should our mental framework be um, inshallah, I'm going to be joined in a little moment by two of our ICELO students who have studied for many years and also our medical practitioners, uh, Dr. Saira and Dr. Aman, inshallah. And so between us, we'll answer uh, whatever questions you guys pose to us. There's already quite a few questions have been posed. Uh, let us know where you're listening from. Give us your salams. Uh, you know, just um, uh, tell us how you're doing, tell us how you're coping. And if you've got any questions as the discussion goes tonight, inshallah, just um, let us know. We'll try our best to get through them as much as possible. Um, So I want to just begin, first of all, um, before we get into any kind of major discussions, is just setting the scene or maybe like, um, where do we, what's our starting point? So the starting point, because obviously of the virus, um, there's relevant... A hadith to what's happening today, uh, today uh, in our situation. So we obviously know that there was a plague at the time of Sayyidina Umar, uh, called the plague of Amwas, where uh, 20,000 to 30,000 people perished, uh, many of them Sahaba. So we have um, direction, direct direction from the companions of the Prophet وسلم, and there's a hadith in Bukhari, Sahih Bukhari, which I want to just start from. And the hadith uh, some of you have probably already seen it. I posted it on um, the uh, on my Facebook. But the actual wording um, of the hadith is only some of it. The actual beginning of it uh, talks about how um, Allah subhanahu wa taala tests people through plagues. Um, so for those who are disobedient, it could be uh, sent as a, as a punishment. But it's very important to understand that it's a rahma for the meaning for the believers, right? So it's a it's a blessing for the believers. Now when I first read this hadith, what I thought was, well how how is it a a rahmah? How is it it a mercy? How can I see mercy in what's happening? And the hadith then goes on, We'll talk about how is a rahmah in a minute, but the hadith goes on to say if a person in the time of epidemic plague stays in their home, yamkuthu fi Now this is, the next bit's very important. So first of all, stays in his house and what I've been told, uh, by the government and all the medical advice is to stay home uh, and and uh, practice social distancing, something new which we've not been accustomed to doing before. Um, and then the next bit says which is quite important. You have to be patient, okay? Hoping for the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's got a condition here. So we have to be patient. Now, if we uh, complain, if we moan, if we uh, go on about it and you know uh, feel sorry for ourselves and and and, and just uh, complain all the time then we will not get the reward which is in this hadith right so the hadith means you'll get the reward which is i'm going to mention now but with the condition that you're patient so the the absolute fundamental thing for us to practice in this time is sabar patience so it says uh, stays in the house patiently Hoping for God's reward, so we stay in our homes. We practice the social distancing, because not just because the government's told us to do it, but this is also something that our faith tells us to do. But what's the government going to give you in return? Probably a pat in the back. But what what are we going to get from Almighty God? Believing that nothing, then the next bit's also a condition: that believing that nothing will afflict them except what God has written for them. In other words. Yes, we know that um, deaths are happening because of this virus and we're reading the stats. However, you have to understand that nothing can affect us unless God lets it affect us. If, we, if if I'm going to pass away without corona, I'll pass away without corona. If that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written for me. If I'm not supposed to pass away, I will not pass away. If I'm supposed to get it, recover it, i So everything that Allah has written is going to happen. Nothing can affect me except what God has written for me. And remember, Ramadan's coming up. We have the night of power, light, Al qadr What do we say? The angels start to write, uh, or, or they're not they're written, but they're basically told what is going to um, be happening the next year. So the angel of death, for example, will be told... These uh, people will be will be passing away. So it's already written. Whoever's going to perish from whatever thing, whatever it is, is already written. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written it for every single one of us. And then it says, if we do that, so if we're patient, we stay in our homes, we're patient, we hope for Allah's reward, and we know that nothing will affect us. In other words, we know that God is in charge. Okay, then they will get the reward of uh Shaheed. He has the reward of a shaheed. Now Ibn Hajar Asqalani, who does the commentary on Sahih Bukhari, says that um, this is the reward even if the person did not pass away from it. So we know, we, we've been hearing that people who pass away from this vice, inshallah, will be um, considered to be shaheed, considered to be martyrs. It's the highest thing that anyone wishes, to be honest, before leaving this world. Because the thing is, we're all going to leave Every, every single one of us, um, everyone everyone that's in this world is going to leave one day. But if you had a choice that you can leave a normal, a normal death and face God and have to account for everything that you've done, or, you know, I'm going to give you this discomfort for a short period, but you will get the reward of a shaheed. Which choice would you take? Because we have to we have to ex- exit the world at some point because this is, this is not our permanent abode. So this is how you've got to start thinking about this. Um, and the, the the Hadith says that even if you don't die, so even if we just stay home, we hope Allah's reward, we know that nothing's going to happen to us, we're patient, inshallah we'll get that reward, whether we get the disease or we don't get the disease, or we pass away, we don't pass away, we will get that inshallah ta'ala. Now, um, I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, if you if you didn't believe in God, all right, so the atheist uh, premise is what? Luck, we were lucky, right? Um, how did we get here? Luck, pure luck, just by pure chance um, the world exists. Um, We nothing became something, right? Uh, So it's pure luck. And if you've been blessed to be in a a good household, um, you know you're not an orphan, etc. That's again good luck, right? Good luck. Um, And so if you get the virus and die, bad luck, isn't it? It's 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 a very. I mean, if you're an atheist and don't believe in anything and believe there's nothing after this world, I can imagine how frightening this must be. This must be terrifying. But the believers not like that. We don't look at life like that. We know that there's something after this life. If you think of, if you don't believe in anything, if you believe that this is going, you, you know, just a biodegradable uh, body that you're just going to disintegrate into the body or whatever it is, and that's it, the connection's gone. We don't have that. We are like, hold on, I die with this, I, get, I become a shaheed, and I have an everlasting life to come, uh, which, is, which is to come. So we look at things different. That's why the hadith that we should all be thinking about. And one of my favorite hadith um, is Ajam al-Amr al-Mu'min. Strange is the affair of the believer. And the hadith actually goes on to say, and that this is not for anyone except the believer. All his affair is good, right? All his affair is good. So, in other words, no matter whatever happens to you in life, is always good. How is it always good? It says, if something good happens, he does shukr, he's grateful, right? And Allah Subh'anaHu Ta-A'la says in the Quran, what? if you're grateful i will increase you right so you're, you you have good times life is going well you do shukr, and allah gives you more difficult things happen what you do what do you do you do sabr and in both cases you get rewarded okay so any discomfort that we go through whatever discomfort it is whether it's a grieving process whether it's getting ill ourselves or you know whatever discomfort we're facing inshallah we are getting our sins purified okay so we always everything that happens to us is good right in every situation and we just have to look at what is our response so if it's good times we respond by being grateful and difficult times we respond by being patience. Uh, patient so patience is what is required from us at this time now many of you probably been watching Ertro, uh, and if you've not been watching Ertro, I'm sure in the lockdown you're probably going to get through all six, uh, five seasons now um, but you know Ertro obviously is set in the time of the Mongols and if you do a, do a little bit of research, uh, they say the Mongols wiped out 10% of the world's population at the time. So you get flavour when you watch it, what it must have been like living under Mongol rule. Um, so, you know, think of like when you're watching those kind of programmes, the things that people went through and how what was the response? They were always relying on God. When they eat, you know, they break the bread, they they, they share it. They have this complete reliance on God because they know that at any time, you know, uh, life can end. And I mean that is a big, big, uh, you know, uh, um, massive test that the Muslims went through at that time, the Mongols, and then obviously the Prophet ﷺ himself, the prophets went through test after test. The Prophet was forced to leave his his own country. If you think of it, um, and if we look at what's been happening, I mean we've we've had this you know, lockdown situation, right? And we're we're finding it difficult. Imagine what it must have been like for those Syrians who went through years of difficulty and I, I I lived in Syria for many years and I have teachers I have teachers that perished. In fact my first uh fiqh teacher, Şeyh Riyad al-Khirti, may Allah give him a high, high abode in Jannah, um perished in, in that whole um, um you know situation and he was only forty five. He was an amazing scholar, you know, and his and his family got just scattered and I mean uh, and I remember his children and his wife and so on. So you know and then obviously we knew what's been happening in, in China, we know it's been happening in Burma. So you know we have been watching other people going through severe difficulties so we put it into that context our test is not as difficult as it has been for other people and that's why there's a hadith that says always look at those who are below you in the dunya right we're alhamdulillah in a place where we have a free national health service in the uk even america doesn't have that um if you look at some of the pictures in pakistan these leaves like poor you know, old people, um, what kind of health care are they going to get? Um, you know, we, we our greatest worry is we're going to run out of toilet paper, right? Um, or I can't have my fish fingers, which I, I have every week. And then there's, there's people in, the, in the other parts of the world who might not get any food. You know, so we have to put things in context. Uh, and then if you look at other stories, like, say, Na say, Yusuf, you know, I mean, it's a brilliant time to actually go through the chapter on Yusuf uh, and how he, you know, uh, be, we're finding it difficult to stay in a house. We have a garden. We can walk out, go out to, to walk. We have food, right? It's not like there's any shortage of food. The government said there's no shortage of food, right? Um, there is no shortage of anything. Yet all we're having to do is stay home. Yet if you think of Yusuf being in a well, imagine being in the bottom of a well where you can you can't even move a couple of yards. Imagine going to prison for something you never did and staying there um, for a, for a long period of time. And prisons at that time would not have been like prisons now, right? Um, so, you know, we, we, when we read these stories, these are real people, they went through these things. And we have to understand that this abode that we live in, this world, is a world of tests and tribulations. And why what what's so special about us, that the people in Syria can suffer, the people in China can suffer, the people in Burma can suffer, but we were somehow, what we've done that's so special that we shouldn't suffer either. Why should not we have tests? And Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Baqarah, "Wala nabulwana kun bi min al-khawfi wal-joo'i wal-naqsi min amwal amwali wal-amfusi wal-thamari wal-bashir." that, we will test you. How is he going to test you through fear, right? Khawf, and now people are terrified. uh hunger, um, you know, decrease in, in 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 money, so people have difficulties with their livelihood or their livelihoods gone down, etc. Anfus, right? Their lives, some people are going to lose their lives in this crisis. Thamarat, so that would have been like their harvest, right? So basically, they kind of um, profit. But then it says, what? Well, right? And be give glad tidings to those who are patient. So Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, you will be twisted with fear, with hunger, with these things, but you need to be patient, okay? Because it's temporary. Everything's temporary, nothing lasts forever. You just have to be patient and get through that and inshallah is great reward coming after And we know the lives of, of prophets with full of tribulations. The hadith says, the, the most people that were tried were the prophets and then those most like them. So this is part and parcel of life. And the hadith actually goes on and says, A man suffers according to the level of his faith. If his faith is strong, solid, he suffers more. If a shaky, suffers less. And then it says the believer will keep on suffering until he walks on the earth with no sin. Because like I said before, for every anxiety, uh, worry, all these things, all these, all these physical, mental, all these sufferings that we're facing, inshallah, our sins are getting uh, purified, right? There's a cleansing that's going on. And so that's very important. Now, One of the things I'm picking up is um, too much... Worry too much, anxiety about what the future is going to, what's going to happen next week, what's going to happen next month, what's next two months, next three months. You know, my relatives may pass away, I may pass away, this may happen, like my The first thing is to to understand is that look, we've been told in our tradition to always remember death, so that's probably a a failing to a somewhat to to, our, to to us that we don't think about it enough, so that now it's become a bit more to the fore of our minds and we're we're, we're panicking, right? Number one, number two, is that we're taught not to overly worry about the future because you do not know because remember like, like this virus happened like this and the whole world just turned upside down right and this you know it could even cause a recession i mean so many things this little small creation of god has just completely changed the, the the world over a few weeks so god can change things tomorrow very quickly as well so we don't worry overtly about the future and in fact um uh, Balkhi, who, who wrote about mental health a long time ago in our history, said that the root cause of mental stress is ham is is thinking, worrying about the future. Right, so we shouldn't worry. We should concentrate on today, and that the immediate. That's it. That's what you think about. That's what you concentrate on, and you leave everything else to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Um, you know that the the, 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 the uh, one of the scholars that I follow was said something very interesting. Um and I'm actually gonna read the quote because I, I I like the quote. He said, If people feared God, a fraction of their fear of the coronavirus, they would experience true bliss and the whole world would be rectified. Subhanallah. You know, um that really made me made me think. And uh, also another scholar um he was basically saying, Look, we take our precautions, we do what we have to do, and that's it. We leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is meant to be is meant to be, what's good, what's written is written, and we don't overtly Uh, We don't overdo it. We don't uh, overdo these things. We don't overthink things. We leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And um, this uh, crisis, I believe, is also something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obviously, he's done it through his will. That's something we have to understand that God's done this. Why has God done this? What is he trying to teach us? What is the benefit in there? Remember I said that hadith, it said that that, that, the the plague could be a test for some people, but for the believer, it's a rahmah. Because for the believer, like I said, if he's tested, his sins are going to get wiped. If he, what's the worst case scenario, he passes away. If he passes away, he gets he gets the the, 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 the death of a shaheed. It's a win-win situation for the, the believer. He has, just has to be patient, right? It's a rahmah for him. Um, so this crisis, I believe, is, has got so many lessons that we need to be thinking about. First of all, it's, it's already flagged up people's true natures. We've seen a lot of selfishness. We've seen a lot of ugliness. Like I said, uh, uh, you know, from simple things like hoarding, uh, you know, uh, food items, not thinking about other people, just buying all the paracetamol in the shops, etc. To not listening to social distancing when you've been told that the, the dangers of it because you feel like, you know, having a barbecue. Um, people making, trying to make profit. Um, some people in the Muslim community as well trying to do that. When you've been told not to do these things, it's the busiest weekend. You know, last weekend was one of the busiest weekends in some of the parks and beaches. Unbelievable stuff. But at the same time, the opposite's true as well. Where we've seen a lot of acts of kindness, and, and, and really um people have gone out of their way to be helpful and kind and giving and generous. So it showed the good side of um humanity as well. And this is a thing, this is a test of our character. you you've you've been put Allah has put you in a situation where you have to stay home. With your family, you have to stay away from your relatives. How are you going to behave? How are you going to be with your spouse? How are you going to be with your children? Is it all going to be about me, me, me? Or is it going to be about um, trying to do what's good for them, trying to keep them in, in good spirits? um So, what is God teaching us in all of this? I mean, we know that God, Allah has names. We know His name is, He's merciful, right? He's Rahim, Rahman. But at the same time, He also has um, powerful names like Bahar which means the subjugator or the conqueror, right? And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showing us that name, that I can completely bring the whole world to a standstill through something which is so small, right? Like, you know, the story of field, which many of us have memorized, when the elephant, the army of the the, the elephant, Abraham, Abraham, when he came from uh, Yemen and wanted to take um, Makkah, what did Allah send? He could have sent anything to destroy the army. He sent little birds, right? And they had like stones, little, little pebbles or stones in the mouth and they, they fired it down and destroyed the army. So he showed that I can just take a small creature and destroy something which you may think is strong. And so this virus has showed that Allah is in control. One of the things we, we, we are struggling with is almost as if we feel as if we've lost control of our lives. The, the, the real reality is that you're never in control in the first place. Allah was in control and He's reminding you that listen, I'm still I'm still in control. Don't forget that. And I can take whatever I want away from you. I've given it to you. I can take it away from you. But what has He also said, if you're grateful, is I'll give you more. So we have to um try to remember to be to be grateful. One of the lists I think we should be doing is being uh, a lot more grateful. Um and the thing is nothing's for granted, right? Um, Umrah. You think you can book a ticket and go to Umrah? Not if God says you can. Um, you think that the mosque is is always going to be there? Not if Allah says no. Jummah has been cancelled, right? Um, and like someone said, did Umrah cancel us, or did uh, did we cancel Umrah? Or did Umrah cancel us, right? As Allah said, you can't come to my house. Allah said, you can't even come to my house, my little house for Jummah. right? So why is you know, what, Subhanallah? Have you ever thought about that? And have we thought how do we run our mosques? are the places of dhikr? or the place of politics are the places where people find respite you know these are all questions that we need to be asking ourselves um and we need to think about you know that nothing is for granted allah can take whatever he wants away which is why we have to think of everything that he's given us and be grateful so one of the things i want uh, us to do is to Look at the glass, the half—you know—the half glass. They say, is it half empty, is it half full? We have to look at, at being as being half full. We have to look at all the good in this in this situation. We have to look at try and try and see what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is teaching us through all of this, um, and try to be grateful. So, one of the practical exercises I think all of us can do, and I want everyone to do this today, inshallah, is to write down ten things that you feel grateful for write them down and every day look at that and add to it if you want and you'll see that you have got so many things to be grateful about and now we can't visit our parents how much do we miss our parents how much do we yearn to see them our family uh, the mosque or maybe other things in the world how much do how much do we appreciate it now we appreciate it a lot more isn't it than before because when you have everything you take it for granted but when it's taken away from you you feel the full value so Allah is reminding us in this and the thing is one of the things I think we should all do is be positive, right? Don't send depressing messages to one another. We're depressed as it is, we write is is you know, we know how bad things are. Um I personally think check something in the morning, check it later in the day, just to keep up with the news. But you know, don't spend all your time in WhatsApp reading all this depressing news. We don't need you don't need to know how bad it is. We know it's bad. Okay. Um so when we speak to one another and we have things like this that uh, we're this application we're using right now we have whatsapp i mean i've just discovered that you can have these multiple video calls on whatsapp because the situation so i've been calling my mom i've been calling my brothers and sisters um you know so you can speak to them and be and you give them support give them moral support so make the decision to be positive make the decision i'm not going to be negative right um witness that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what's happening, Allah is doing this. This is Allah's will and he's showing us his power, that he is in control. And distance, you know, this thing of social distancing, so we say, oh, I can't see my relatives, I can't see my grand. You know, one of the things our teachers told us was, real distance is distance of the heart. So we asked, you know, Sheikh, we're going to leave, we're not going to be with you. He said, the physical distance is not the, the physical closeness is not the closeness, it's the closeness of the hearts. So if your hearts are close, whether you are physically with them or not, you're still connected, right? It's not that we need to get away from the physical dimension and think of the metaphysical, the, the spiritual. So like I said, say this as, a, as an opportunity. Allah has done this. He has put me in my home. So I'm spending so much time with my wife. I'm spending so much time with my children, right? Um, and maybe before I was traveling a lot, I wouldn't see them as much. I've seen this as an opportunity. Allah has given me this big blessing that I, he's forced me to stay in the house and spend time with my family. And I may not get this opportunity again. Ramadan's coming, inshallah. We'll we'll talk in the next few weeks about Ramadan, getting the most out of Ramadan, inshallah. We've got a few ideas. Um, But, you know, this three months, you're probably never going to get this time at home ever again. So, you know, you have a chance to restructure your day. So in in a normal situation, you have to get up at set times. You can restructure your day depending on how your work is. You can have early nights, okay? Get off at the Hajj, maybe things that you couldn't do before. Uh, you know, doing that extra du'as, talba, things that you've put off for a lot of time, maybe a book, maybe a documentary, all that stuff you can catch up on. And one of the things is extremely important to stop negative thinking. As soon as you get a negative thought, change it. Change your thought. Go and think about something else. Go and pick up a bit good. Do something else. Make a coffee. Anything else, take yourself away from that negative thought. Do not let the negative thought fester at all. Just cut it from the root. Like, um, Imam Ghazali says and i already seen so many benefits I mean uh, I mean I'm on all these forums with, with scholars and stuff and obviously things have, have been happening we've, we've been helping one another and you know subhanAllah you know when you have a crisis people come together they're, they're more unified and also you've probably re- seen this as well that it's, it's been although it's been difficult it's been hard for uh, human beings but for the planet it's actually been good the planet the, the, the pollution is going away um, and also think of how many things which have stopped which are immoral. So places like brothels are also closed as well. right? So look at all the sin that's Allah SWT, stopped temporarily on the earth. So it's all about how you look at this. And social distancing, I have to mention this because social distancing is so important. Some people are not, still not taking it seriously. Social distancing, I've already mentioned the huge reward, but also it's not just about the reward, it's about um preference ethar. Social distance, it's about basically I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm probably not going to get the I'm not, probably not going to die from this. But Allah you know keeps us on our toes. There's a few people that young people have died just to say, look, you don't make the rules, I make the rules. But the thing about social distance is that you're preferring other people over yourself. I want to go out and do this, but that might put other people in danger. Therefore I will prefer other people over myself. And if you're not doing social distancing that is showing that you have a selfish side to you. Or maybe you just don't understand what the, the implications of it. That's another possibility. But if you do understand the, the the possibilities and you still are willing to put other people at risk, then that is um, selfishness, and you need to look at yourself. And also remember that okay, um, those who are maybe um, finding it difficult financially, the risk. Who does it come from? Allah, right? And is it written? Yes. Can it increase or decrease? But only God can can write can can do that. So therefore you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, isn't it? You have turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't, 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 don't turn to the government or this place or that place. Yes, we take the means. However, the real source of your risk is going to come from almighty God. And that's why his door is always open. You can speak to him at any time. And there's countless benefits of, of, of isolation, what's called khalwa. It's a book that's come out recently as well, um, which I'd love to um, keep talking about, but I want to bring in our guests. I know there's a lot of questions um but inshallah, you know, these these are difficult um situations that we've been put in. Um they're unprecedented, like when that plague of uh, Amwas happened, that was unprecedented at the time and and, and Sayyidina and Umar, they weren't sure should they go, should they not go. And some Sahaba were saying go, some Sahaba were saying don't no go. Eventually he decided not to go. Right? But I mean that showed that in the Sahaba were differing. So these are these are you know fast moving, unprecedented unprecedented events. So it's it's natural for us to find it difficult, right? All of us, but inshallah, together, if we can help one another, we can be a support from one another, inshallah, we can all get through this, uh, um, inshallah ta'ala. And nothing is difficult if uh, Allah makes it easy, inshallah ta'ala. I'm going to uh, bring in my other guests. So uh, I'm going to just introduce introduce them. So we've got uh, Dr. Saira. Um, who is a, a GP and, um, and these are these are two people that um, have, have studied uh, the I syllabus to advanced course and also these are, these are people who I respect in their, in their fields and I also refer to them um, in many cases and uh, so I'm going to ask them to just give us uh, just a couple of minutes before we get into the questions uh, I want to ask Dr. Saira she's on the, the front line. Uh, she's a GP. And may Allah bless all those um, health professionals who are on, on the front line, doing the really difficult work, and all the people who are like washing dead bodies and so on. And may Allah protect them uh, and, and give them good health. So I just want to get um, a, a quick update from her because there's so much um, conflicting news, um, so many different articles, people saying different things. So it's always good to get somebody's perspective on that. Um, so I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Saira just to. Uh, say a couple of words and maybe if there's anything that I've said that you want to touch upon and then I'll go to Dr Alman. Dr
2: Saida. Um, okay so I want to start off by saying that we're all feeling very anxious, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of uncertainty out there and that includes us as health professionals, we're also part of you know the public uh, in a professional capacity and a, you know a personal capacity, both there's a lot of anxiety I feel for us it started about two or three weeks ago Um, and two or three weeks ago a lot of doctors were almost we felt shouting saying we need to do something about this COVID-19 is coming this pandemic is coming we need to self-isolate we need to stop going to gatherings and we really feel that it took a while for the government never mind the public to hear that so the stress for us started about three weeks ago and it changed the way we were practicing. So from it went literally from getting a public health guidelines saying people that are coming back from these countries should be isolated for seven days. Within days we were seeing community cases. So every day we're really playing catch up. Uh, So the last two or three weeks have been very stressful. There's been a lot of information coming in. As GPs we've been supporting each other the best we can because the guidance from government has been slow and not great at times a uh, public health guidance can be quite slow so the, you know even as as the experts there's been a lot of anxiety and fear and it, you know i i think we're now coming to the next stage where we've been through that chaos the stress the crisis management and we're now coming to that phase where we really need to pace ourselves and prepare ourselves in terms of general practice it really has changed the way we're practicing we are understandably trying to do a lot of tre- telephone telephone consultation. Do a lot of video consultation. We need to balance between seeing people that you know may have um, COVID nineteen or have the symptoms of of possible COVID nineteen and our day to day running of a, a general practice. So you know all our diabetic patients, all our you know chronic disease patients. We still need to be managing them. We still need to be managing. Our palliative care patients, and that's become that's obviously very challenging. So every day there's been new guidelines. Every day we're changing. Um, our staff are really worried and anxious. So we've been having to support each other through it. Um, so we, I, I think it's the fear that people are feel, feeling, the anxiety that people are feel, feeling. It's okay. It's normal. And the first thing we need to do is just accept accept it. It's okay to feel the way you're feeling. And then recognize, well, what is anxiety? What are the physical feelings of anxiety? Because I'm feeling it as well. I've been, you know, obviously the last two or three weeks, maybe working a little bit more and then coming home and, on, you know, in a personal way, me and my husband are having those conversations. We were ha- talking two weeks ago about taking the kids out of school, stopping the extracurriculum activities because we, we saw this coming. It's just unfortunate that government and other leaders took a bit longer to play catch up. But the good news is that we are now working together. I feel as a community, as a Muslim community, we are now, we have caught up and it's bring it's definitely brought us together. Um, but the danger is that I think for the public, we're, they're still getting a lot of information and that information is coming very fast, maybe too fast. So we do need to pace ourselves in regards to that. Um, and I think we, we'll, we'll talk a lot more about how to manage that anxiety and how to manage that fear. But as a as a professional that's working in this area, our stress started three weeks ago, so we now are. I feel we're on the, we're in the next stage.
1: Doctor Man, Doctor Man's a psychiatrist, um, and um, so obviously he's well aware of the kind of mental. Health kind of issues that, that, that um, uh, I'm sure he's having lots of discussions with his colleagues of what's happening and what's maybe going to happen. And you always have insight into um, some of the challenges and issues. Uh, Dr. Man, you want to give a few minutes and just update us on your area?
0: Yeah, assalamu alaikum. Okay. Yeah, so I think um, similar to uh, Dr. Syrah, so um, it's quite unprecedented in terms of for the NHS in terms of what we're dealing with. Um I think even in the last two or three weeks, um, we have almost reconfigured or changed the, the way that we practice for what would usually take years. So we are, we, you know, I work within a, sort of a secondary mental health service. So once GPs, et cetera, have um, referred to us for more specialist care. So, you know, things that we would have taken years to reconfigure in terms of the way we practice, the way we prioritize, the way we... Use you know telephone video consultations. Um, the way we manage that whole side of things has changed within uh, a matter of days, and so that is um, that's unprecedented. So that I think that is something that is causing a lot of um, pressure on everyone. Um, I think the other thing is that I mean if you you know really if you think about the bigger picture and you know I'm not an epidemiologist but really you know we really have to think that this is uh like a marathon rather than a sprint mm. so the next three months is what's predicted to be the most uh vulnerable period for us in the uk and so you have to think look if we're getting burnt out after three days of the kids at home or being in isolation you know we're going to burn ourselves out you know and uh, i think that's where your reminder is very timely in terms of you know it's a bit like uh a diet and i'm probably not the best person to talk about diet but you know you have a bit of a cra- you can have a crash diet which will you know suddenly stop everything yeah. or you can make these small changes make these adaptations you know a bit more exercise eating healthier and this will you know be more likely to keep you going for a longer period okay. and so that's where um you know we have to think look this is gonna you know the way you're living your life in the uk this is for at least the next three months and the implications beyond that will be potentially for another 6 to 12 months at least yeah again nobody knows this all to do with modelling and projections but you know if you have this framework that it's all going to be fine in a couple of weeks you know then you 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 know i think that's where a bit of reality is is useful so we need to think of that the only other thing i would say is still in in terms of scotland um you know part of anxiety i guess anxiety anxiety can be is a, is a normal human experience you know and there's an optimal ex- anxiety that we should all have but you know being too you know not anxious enough if you have an exam or being overly anxious where you can't function both of these extremes are, um, are not healthy and i guess when we talk about anxiety it's like an irrational fear you know out of proportion disproportionate and actually the reality is you know it's understandable that we are in a pandemic you know there is a degree of anxiety which is okay as dr cyrus said mm-hmm. if you look at the figures in scotland so i was just having a look at them before we came on um so in scotland there's about 11 and a half thousand people that have been tested for coronavirus out of that uh, about 894 are positive so that's about eight percent of the ones that are tested and one of the discussions is you know are we testing enough but out of that Um, there's been 25 deaths in Scotland so um, from the uh, amount that are tested about 8% are positive and out of those 8% about 3% are the ones that have died. So again you know we know a small number so far you know there's projections we don't know where it'll go and particularly you know it's the elderly and vulnerable groups that are more at risk but also it's that sense of um, you know you know, it's a very vulnerable period, but keeping things in proportion is, is, is key as well.
1: Yeah, okay. Thank you uh, for that, Dr. Aman, Dr. Zaira. Um I've been looking down, I, I, I was listening, I was looking at the questions. We've got a lot of questions, so <clears throat> I'm going to fire away. Uh, we'll try and get through as many as possible. The que- first question is, how can we manage our mental health during self-isolation? Uh, I'm going to give that to Dr. Aman, what what do you, what do you advise?
0: (laughs) So I think um, certainly what we're seeing um, is for a number of patients where, who, you know, usually, you know, like depression, anxiety, are the commonest mental health disorders, um, that this is adding another layer to that anxiety, which they're really struggling with. Um, So there's there's various different strategies I think people can employ. Um, I think one is really having a routine mm-hmm. having a degree of structure to your life and i think really what is key is almost you know the, the, i think very much what you're echoing is that you know it's your paradigm how are you going to deal with this i guess what we often what we will talk about in mental health is you can't con- necessarily or you can't usually control external events that are happening in your yeah. life but you can choose your response to them mm-hmm. and so that is key in terms of um how are we going to choose to deal with 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 these challenges um and so you know looking at look really one way that i've been thinking is look at the function of what we do and can we replace it with, with something else so you know what are we feeling that we can't have social contact with others you know as, as humans we're social beings we need that you know a sense of community now you know we're replacing okay we can't have that physical contact or the kids can't have that at school or our parents can't have that at the mosque but can you replace it with something else? So that function of social interaction can be, you know, everyone's replacing it with online stuff now. So that is still meeting some of that need. So exercise, okay, you can't go out to the gym. You can't go out necessarily to the parks. So what exercise can you do in the house? What can you do in the garden? What can you do? So it's kind of looking at, as you, you know, this activity that I would normally do, how can I adapt that for the next few months to do it in a different way? Um, you know, that time of... Uh, you know spiritually as well you know really important you know um is unique time that we can have to um you know st- spend more time reading more spend re- you know often we'll talk about the work life balance and mm-hmm. you know, so if i had more time i'd spend that at home really looking at you know what's quality time with your family like rather than you you know probably we're in this mindset of uh, technology and distractions are our medium we're right now having to find another medium to communicate with our families and Maybe, inshallah, this will help us when we come out of this.
1: Yep. So, so um, the, the, there's another question. Is difficult to get keep motivation? Days feel very long Any advice. I think you've kind of covered that. So, because we've got so many questions, I'm going to try and, uh, go, and go through them. I think what you're saying is extremely important in terms of, because one of the things I was trying to say, that the situation is what it is. You're going to be in this situation for three months, either you accept it and you make the most of it and you see the positive and you see it as an opportunity um, or you see it as a burden and then that's just going to harm you um, emotionally and mentally. I mean it's, it's still not going to change the situation so you you should ha- you should look at everything positively as much as possible.
2: Um, can, I just add, can I just add to that? Yeah yeah, so the, the thing about the routine and it, and it answers the motivation question, is I think it's really important to have a structure in your day. So you have a morning routine, you have an afternoon routine, you have your evening routine because we're used to having some sort of timetable. We all have a timetable that we follow. And what some of the anxiety comes from not having that structure, and you feel very aimless as to what you're supposed to do. So if you can if you're if you were doing a project or if you had a project you wanted to do, if you can work from home, do what you would normally do in some kind of routine at home. Have a separate workspace, have a separate space for where you read Quran and do some zikr. have a separate space for playing with the kids, you know, so have separate areas dedicated and have a routine and structure. Really important for adults, really important for kids. Without that, I think it is very easy to feel quite aimless and lose focus. Um, and anxiety creeps in and secondly we have to recognize what anxiety feels like because some people may not have felt physical anxiety before you know that's a heart racing fast you're breathing you can't breathe so we've had calls from people and they say oh i think i might have the infection but no they've got an, they're feeling anxiety sure. so just recognizing what the symptoms are and once you've accepted it then you can do something about it. inshallah so, uh, dr
1: side if you can just add on to that's a question about just it's related really to what you were just saying there just about specifically children's mental health, how to protect that during this time.
2: I think it's really kids are really clued up. Um, my prim- I've got a daughter in primary two, so a few weeks ago she said to us, "Oh, Mama, I'm really, I'm, I'm really, f- I'm afraid of coronavirus. you know, coronavirus is coming. Or I'm afraid of coronavirus." So kids are clued up. They've heard about it. They know what it is. So it's really important that we give them the right information. That we talk to them in appropriate doses and in the appropriate language and so don't be afraid to you know talk to them about this we have to talk to them they 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 know something's wrong their whole structure and routine is upside down and so depending on what age they are speak to them and give them structure you know you want to keep some sort of schooling going if they go to school and but it doesn't have to be set down and let's do maths for three hours you know it doesn't have to be that kind of structure but they need to learn life skills so Given the structure one of the things we're doing when i'm at home we do lohar and jamal together as a family and we almost like i do a reminder it's almost like a debrief so at work i'm doing that with the staff and i find that it really helps them just cope you know ask them what, what how are you feeling what are the issues these are the guidelines and we're doing the same at home just you know a short reminder and a reminder for us to do for our loved ones how are you guys feeling just touch base you know it's something quite simple and it can be you know very powerful to do with the kids
0: can i can i just make a comment about the, the schooling at home i think what's really important as well is um that the parents don't put themselves under the pressure that they now become teachers or homeschoolers you know um and to give the, cut themselves a little bit of slack you know because i guess teachers are trained they're very experienced in managing children Um, at home and now suddenly expecting a parent who's potentially one of them might be working from home so they're still technically at work they've got kids now trying to do their homework tasks etc i think you know everyone understands there needs to be a bit of leeway you know nobody's going to get this right and it's more about you know a lot of the homework is just you get them enough to keep them going you know so um, i think that's key as well don't put yourself under that pressure that you know, I'm now certainly a homeschooling teacher and I need to meet these standards because that is going to cause a lot of additional under str- pressure, stress for yourself. yourself under pressure.
2: Yeah,
1: um, yeah. I mean, I think you're you're correct in not trying to put ourselves under too much pressure. Plus, I mean, the other thing is, it depends how you define teaching. Because from my my perspective, I think the parents always teaching their kid. Um, so it's, teaching is not just teaching them English or teaching them maths. So you can take this as moral teaching ethical teaching you know so it's still they're still learning so even though they're home you're still teaching them it might not be what the the formal studies at school but you're still teaching them and you can teach them through stories you can teach, teach them through everything obviously your actions are important as well um so inshallah remember that you're always teaching them in some capacity and you've got time you know i'm thinking of ramadan i'm thinking great the kids at home try and get some Memorization done. Some math done. Do other things that maybe I couldn't have done uh, otherwise. And, and uh, you know, you have to be creative. My wife um, you know, got them doing a treasure hunt today, which uh, went down nicely. And then they spent the rest of the day making treasure hunts for us. So
0: <laughs> I, th- I, think the re- I think the rest <laughs> of the families are stopping the kills. Uh, the kids break each other's arms and uh, <laughs> killing each other. So sheik uh, you have to send yeah. us a little video of that.
1: Yeah, so uh, Dr. Aman, are there any activities you recommend to protect our mental health? So what the general, I mean, you kind of both highlighted some of the stuff like exercise and so on, routine. Anything else that comes, uh, any golden tips you can give us?
0: So I think it's, um, I think the one is, uh, it's really hard, but don't get consumed with all of the uh, news and the media and the social media. So what I've been telling some of my patients is, look, set maybe once or twice a day, you'll check in, you'll check in with reliable sources, because I mean, the amount of stuff you've seen on WhatsApp uh, groups, even amongst medical circles, even amongst stuff that just gets forwarded from, I know this Uncle Joe from Pakistan who knew this and this happened to him. And that just causes everyone's anxiety because you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this is, and so, you know, this false information is just adding to that. And even then just challenging that is, is, is really stressful. So you need to limit in terms of what's going on, um, you know, what, what's getting into your brain. So you know, limit in terms of maybe once or twice, okay, I'm gonna check these reliable sources to know what's happening um, and look at the facts. Um, I think there's also that idea of, um, uh, you know, I th- one other strategy sometimes people use is almost like checking in with yourself and, and with your kids. So you can say, look, you know, whether it's a scale of one to 10, in terms of anxiety like you know how, how's your day today so yep. one being very little and tens being you know i'm really anxious today mm-hmm. and that, that's something you could do to yourself and just check in for five minutes because I, I think we, we all need a bit of me time as well particularly the ones that are in the house you know so share that responsibility give people a bit of me time whether that means going in the room doing their own thing and um, but checking with the kids as well and the grandparents. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, if you're a, if it's an eight today, maybe we can all chip in and do something. But the distraction is really good, so okay. you know, finding other ways of taking your mind off it, it can be really helpful. So that will be looking at self-soothing stuff. Is it going for a walk in the garden? Is it calling somebody? Is it? There's lots of um, techniques which you can, we can maybe come on to but the things called grounding techniques that you can use uh, online. There's a lot of stuff in terms of meditation or mindfulness. Like a ten-minute, you know, app or a video that will just help you reframe a little bit and slow things down and allow you to just ref- refocus.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next question is, how should we have hope in uncertain times? I'll answer that myself. So, um, as a as a believer, we we're, we're n- we never fall into despair because we know that at any point, no matter how difficult life gets, uh, whether it's a personal quest or a, or like a umma or a global, whatever it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can change things um, very quickly. And I think this virus is something that shows that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen a very small creation of his. And look at how the whole world subhanAllah has come to a standstill so because of this just little creation of God. So if he can do that, then he can change that situation as well. So we always um, rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you rely on yourself, you will have difficulties because we are... By definition, uh, imperfect. We are deficient, but if we rely on God, if we say, "Ya Allah, I put my reliance on You," Allah's perfect. Allah's, uh, you know, He did, he, he's, he's, he has no deficiencies. That's why one of the du'as we should make. We should making all, all the time anyway. follow the Allah I turn my affairs over to God. And God, uh, you know, sees His uh, slaves, so that the, that connection with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, I think, is fundamental. Because, when, and is the thing, when you when we study creed, um, we, we 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 study God's attributes. He has encompassing knowledge. He has will. He has qudra His power. When you're studying all these things, that it's not just a, a, a an academic exercise. It's to actually, you know, feel that to actually feel Subhanallah. Allah has power to do everything. Allah has you know, complete knowledge. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my mind, what's going on in my family. It was happening everywhere. So having that, I think this is a time that we can all uh, strengthen our 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 ties with our Creator. Uh, the Hadith that talks about the last third of the night, um, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala comes down to the lowest heaven and says, "Is there anyone asking for anything? Anyone looking for forgiveness?" So you know, optimum time we're at home we can, like uh, the, the we're saying, we can restructure our timetable to whatever way we want. There's no restrictions, uh, you know, uh, we can go to sleep really early, get off at the hajjud uh, and have a nap later in the day, whatever it is, so we can restructure things. We can do things which we couldn't ordinarily, uh, ordinarily do. So I think um, strengthening our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever shape form that is, through reading, through Quran, through even like discussions with uh, one another, um, there's so much stuff out there you can listen to and, and get, um, you know, um, inspiration from. I think we always we always put our reliance on God. When you put your reliance on God, then it takes all the pressure off you. If you put if you put all the if you if you think I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do that, then it's a lot of pressure. Like Doctor Man was saying, if you think well, I now need to be the teacher, I need to do this as well. I need to, you, that's a lot of pressure you put in yourself. But if you say, Ya Allah, I will do my best, but I'm going to rely on you, it's, it's going to come from you, not from me. Um, if, this, if, if, this, if, this, if this affects me, it will be because of you. If I'm cured, it's because of you and all. And, and if we just keep turning it all back to him, Inshallah, I think that is what um, will give us, uh, give us hope, Inshallah. Um, so there's a couple of questions here. Um, how would you help an anxious mind during this time? Uh, Dr. Saira?
2: Um, there's a concept called, um, a kind of technique called worry time. Um, so especially at, at, at the moment, our minds are full of fear and worry, especially because we're reading social media, new articles coming all the time. So what, what we suggest you do is to, when that thought comes into your mind, something that you're worrying about, just say to yourself, "I'm, I'll deal with that but at this specific time. So put aside a time, 20 minutes, half an hour tops, where you're going to deal with those worries. Okay. Um, even write it down, even better have a book. You write down whatever that worry is, and you'll find that the same worries come up again and again. It, it, there's usually a repetition. And then sit down, make sure it's not before bedtime, so sometime through the day. You sit down with a cup of tea and go through the worries and just think and t- you know, change your perspective, just make it into problem-solving um, um, thing. Is there something I can do that, do about it? Can I, do I have control over this? Mm. Sometimes you will come up with a solution. Sometimes you may think, yeah, I I can do something, but other or times... Even,
1: or even even, is it justified? I mean, sometimes we, sometimes we make up stuff which is actually not real. Absolutely. And then when you actually Absolutely. think about it, you realise actually the thought is actually not even justified. It's just the chitter-chatter. Mm you uh, go
2: going on yeah yeah so things like oh what if I got the infection and then what will my kids do and then you know so put that down in the book spend 20 minutes 30 minutes just going through those worries and like you say you know, change it into well it's very unlikely now that I'm at home I'm not going to get, it's very unlikely I'm going to get the infection because infection is not going to invite itself you have to bring it home so if you're staying at home you know you can so you can go through all those worries at a specific time once a day And it means that you free up the rest of the day to just get on with things. As soon as that 20 minutes or 30 minutes is up, you get up and you distract yourself. You get on and you do some exercise or you do something with the kids or you go online and you chat chat to a friend. I think this is really important, actually, um, if you live, we've been talking a lot about families isolating together. But if someone lives alone and they don't have anyone to talk to, for them, that mental connection is even more important. So do your worry time, but then also connect with somebody, have a friend that you can FaceTime with, cup of tea. Again, plan it like you would you know as if you're going out for coffee. Let's meet at two o'clock this afternoon and sit down for half an hour over a cup of tea and chat it through.
1: Jacques I mean one one thing I just wanted came to me was um when you talked about somebody being alone. One one of the things is um I think it's very powerful, which we probably don't do enough. we uh, we make a lot of du'as. Um, you know, we do the prophetic du'as, maybe certain du'as we've, we've kind of heard. But sometimes it's good, to, I mean, do that, absolutely do that. Uh, but sometimes it's good to just sit and almost like as if you're talking to a friend, but you're talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and just offloading to God and saying, yeah, Allah, I feel like this. I feel, you know, I'm losing control of this or whatever, and, you know, and I'm asking you to help me. And just actually just talk to them completely from the heart. I think is very powerful. Uh, Dr. Aman, sitting indoor at desk five days a week, how do I balance spiritual, physical, and mental well being? It's kind of stuff that we've already covered. Is there anything else you can add to that? And also, is it any advice in getting sleep?
0: Um so c- can you repeat that? it was more about if you're sitting at the desk.
1: Yeah, so someone's saying sitting indoors at desk five days a week, um, how do I balance spiritual, physical and mental well being? Yeah.
0: So um sleeping think- after that. Yeah. So I think in terms of part of uh, uh, maybe a bit like Ramadan is, you know, set yourself some targets and opportunities. Yeah. So I know some people are like, um, I know some colleagues who are, you know, planning to uh, do some painting and gardening, you know, painting in the house, or, you know, you might want to take up a hobby that you've always wanted to. And that, that, I mean, I think on on a slightly tangent, on a slight tangent,
1: there was a guy that I, I read about. He ran a marathon on his balcony. Did you do that? that? No. no. <laughs> he just, he must have been jogging on the spot. But he ran a marathon, an entire marathon on his balcony. He just shows you put you mind yeah. to it.
0: No, I, I, th- I think it's really, um one thing I was reflecting on was, had we faced this thing about 30 years ago, yeah? In our oh, own no. lifetime. Mm. I mean, where there was no broadband, uh, where there was no, you know, facebook live etc you know the idea of how more socially disconnected we would have been um i think we might have struggled a lot lot more and here there's an opportunity i mean you can you know go on youtube and you can learn something you know you can you know all the reading that you're meant to have been doing etc so if you look at it, actually it's an opportunity and we know that you know i guess one of the things we're saying is this whole paradigm shift from being you know if you can shift from a very negative you know anxious feeling threatened mindset to actually let me see what is the positive that can come out of this or how mm-hmm. am i going to deal with this because even we know there's some studies that show even like if you have cancer etc if you have a positive outlook outlook you're actually likely to survive more than if you just give up and and, and, mm-hmm. and you know don't want to carry on and so this positive mindset because we've seen that you know actually the fact that people are knocking on their neighbors doors the fact that people are giving sadka, the fact that people are you know going and helping and looking after elderly actually we're seeing some of the best of humanity and i think that's something that we need to reflect as, particularly as muslims is actually you know how can i be the best how can i actually help our my community and i think that's where it's kind of part of thinking actually this this you know this whole idea of what's in our sphere of influence what can we do what can i do today tomorrow that i have influence over Is you know, you can do less in terms of global scale, but locally in your community, you can do a lot. So, you know, you might want to build that up. Okay, you're at your desk, you're doing some of your work, then you need to have some me time, and that's really important. Um, And then time with the kids, time with your partner, for example, all of these things. So if you can break that up into uh, manageable things, but bring into that, you know, things that are what we call like self-soothing, enjoyable things as well, then you won't see that this is just a drag, and you actually say, you know, I might be getting something out of this. Um, so I think that's one thing. Sleep-wise, um, you know, I think if you're a lot, of, if you're very anxious, your sleep's going to be affected. So it's reducing some of the uh, anxiety, there's a lot of online. If you type sleep hygiene, so there's a lot of stuff which you can access. as so cutting down caffeine at night time, you know, cutting off your devices, not get, getting your mind overstimulated, and these things will help. Um, if you're doing exercise during the daytime as well, this will help your sleep pattern um, rather than turning to pills and tablets, which some people need them and that's fine, but if you can avoid them, it's, it's better.
2: Okay. Um, Something else that helps uh, will help your sleep and your mental health generally is getting out and getting fresher and getting the sun. Your body needs to get sun to know that it's been awake during the day, so it sleeps at night time. Um, so if you've got a garden, great, get in the garden. You know, even in your pavement, if you know if there's no one around, just stand in front of the, the, the front door. Um, if you, I'm not saying you know, if you live in the city, you cannot go out. But some of us are lucky enough to live in villages or you know where there's fields. Go out for a walk in the field. Um, Is you know you you'll meet the cows and the sheep. You're not going to meet people, and that's absolutely fine. Even if you did meet somebody, you keep the distance. Um, it's, you know you need you need to get that balance. If you need to get out, get get out, and you need sun, you need fresh air, um, and you can even get your exercise that way if you live in an area where you could be able I to. I think
1: get... The thing about fresh air is also important to breathe. Um, just breathing, and it's in itself is extremely important. It helps with. Uh, all these things that we've been talking about, so it's another thing I think. And if
2: you if you go out just now, you realise like the daffodils are out, the baby lambs are out, you know, the world is still going, nature is doing its thing, you know, and like you said a bit before, about the grand scale of things, those things have not stopped, mm-hmm. and it's a really good perspective then to, for us that these things haven't stopped, you know, everything's revolving. Um, and we're just like a you know one small part of this grand scale of and Manantala's amazing plan, so it does help put things in perspective.
1: Yep, uh, Salam, how do we stop ourselves from going down the back path of social uh, suicidal thoughts? So, Dr. Amano, start with you, and, and Dr. Syrah, you can add on anything. Suicidal thoughts, how to stop them? Yeah,
0: so I, th- I think, um, death is something people are thinking about a lot, and I think it would be really useful just to for- hear from yourself, Sheikh, because I know there's a lot in um you know a, a number of the questions we're having but also you know in the wider context and you know the messaging about you know changes to legislation etc and you know distancing around that but i think in terms of both i think part of one of the people things people are struggling with is one is about um death of others but also about that idea of death and uh you know suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation often that's in the context of some background things um, and so I think it's really important uh, to make sure you're getting the right help. So in terms of, although we're seeing, you know, services are, are changing, um, there's still help available. So it doesn't mean, you know, you have to cope with this on your own. I think um, it's trying to use distraction can be a really uh, important way. You know, company, people around you, uh, make sure you're kind of sharing things with, with people around you. I mean, linked with panic attacks, but also, you know, if you're having suicidal thoughts, there's various strategies you can find online as well. Um, There's a couple, so there's some, um, there's like grounding techniques. So you could Google these things. So one thing is like, um, you know, you focus on your breathing and you look at, you know, if you're getting quite worked up and panicky or quite suicidal, um, you think it's, it's like five, four, three, two, one. In that moment, you stop, think about your breathing, you know what are the five things you can see around you so i can see the camera i can see the screen i can see the you know painting or if you're outside i can see a tree and four things you can touch so feeling three things that you can hear you know i can hear the birds or something two things you can smell and one thing that you can feel so you know by that process it helps to de-escalate things Mm -hmm. there's another technique called stop s-t-o-p-p And that's another technique, again, you know, just Google it. There's lots around that. So if you're getting really worked up or suicidal thoughts, it's that idea is that you stop for a minute, you take a breath, you observe, where are you? You know, check in, you know, give yourself a a bit of perspective and then practice things that have worked. So S-T-O-P-P. So these are just two techniques and everyone needs to find their own thing. For some people, it will be, you know, prayer, Quran, listen to music, you know, a podcast. Whatever it might be, Um, but you know, I think that suicidal thing is is usually uh, you know proxy of some underlying um, issue. So, um, but Sheikh, I don't know whether you wanted to come back on the whole idea of the death and bereavement that people are particularly concerned about from a religious.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think just following on from what you're saying about, um, I think this is what kind of Ghazali and others say that. When you have negative thoughts, what you do is you don't let it fester. So you basically stop it. He, he says it's like the root of the tree; you just cut it, so it doesn't grow any branches. So <clears throat> you know we all do it. We kind of start let our mind our minds wander, but as soon as you become aware that my mind's wandering in the wrong direction, you stop yourself, uh, and you just you actually tell yourself stop, and do like you said yourself distract yourself. You do something. else. You physically go and get up and go and make a cup of coffee or go and do wudu or pick up a book, you know, you physically change um, the situation so that you're forced to um, get away from that thought. In terms of the, uh, um, about um, death and bereavement, the thing is, look, uh, we always have to understand that everything that's happening is happening with the will of Allah, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has willed what is happening. So... So let's just say and that's that's what Dr. Syrah was saying that you know you may start worrying this might happen that might happen that might happen i mean there's endless things that can happen, and if we lived our lives like that we'd be constantly worried we wouldn't go out because we might you know may get knocked over a bus so the thing is we're we're taught not to we not 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 to think about these things because they may or may not happen um with um, death and bereavement inshallah and we're be going to I think um, uh, uh, look at this uh, maybe um, very soon maybe next week or something in a bit more de- detail because a lot of discussions going on on part of all these forums and stuff I mean it is unprecedented in the sense that um, even the ghusl you know it's not the normal way we do ghusl, uh, janazah prayers obviously limited to people are having to do it at the graveyard um, obviously if you're social distancing or if you've been told to stay away you may not be able to attend um, but the thing is, the thing is, I always say, look, when it comes to bereavement and stuff, yes, we have to cope with it. Uh, that's understandable. And the Prophet, when his his son passed away, he did cry. And when they asked him about that, he said, I, 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 these are, this is from the the, the mercy of, of a human being. In other words, the compassion, mercy you have in your heart it's uncontrollable. It's a human, natural human emotion. There's nothing wrong with that. But he said, we do not say anything which displeases God. In other words, we don't. Uh, we accept it we we don't enjoy it right but we accept that it's from god and we don't say anything displeasurable to god we don't say to, to allah why did you do this and so on and I guess all about perspective if, if 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 like you had a relative you love your relative right if they were given a choice if the relative was given a choice you can have a normal normal death like a normal so there'll be a thousand people at your janazah Lots of people crying afterwards, they'll be doing Qur'an, khatams and all the rest of it. But see, when you go in your grave, you're going to have to account for everything you've done, right? Um, And you're just going to have a normal death. Or there's going to be no one at your janazah, or very few people. The ghusl is going to be limited, but it will be accepted by God. God will accept it as if it was a normal ghusl. God will accept it as if it was a normal janazah. But you are going to get um, martyrdom. You're going to be a shaheed. Which of the two are you going to decide to? You know, if you given a choice, which one would you take? I know I would want to be a shaheed because what I'm going to get in the next life compared to the other thing is much more. So, if if we're if if we if we love our relatives, we should love what is best for them, not for not for us. If you know what I mean. So you know we want comfort, but it's almost about preferring them over ourselves. That we I need to think of what is in the, their best interest. And actually, if Allah takes them like this, they will get um shaheed and they might ne- never had that, that opportunity in their life to leave the world like that or if you were given a choice of you know like leaving the world doing sajda or something like that you would never give that up so i think you've got to look at everything everything you know that there's this pros and cons and everything right you can't have you can't have um everything that you want in your own way but on the balance of things when you balance that up you think actually subhanallah you know okay we there's certain things we can't do however allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so
0: is, I think, is, it, is it is it correct to also say that um, you know we know that you know a person's time is appointed anyway, so mm-hmm. you know the pandemic is just the means by which the, you know that person will die. Although, yeah, so, so like could I said, have been another method could have been another thing on that day and that time in this age.
1: That that, that that's what I'm saying about you know light when when um, the angels are told their duties for the next, the coming year. They're they told okay these people that they, these the people are going to pass away this year. And so if anyone's going to pass within the next three months, that's already been written. God's already written that. If the virus didn't come, it wasn't going to you know, shorten the time or elongate the time. So your death is appointed. All of us, we're going to go on that day, That's that particular minute, hour. Nothing's going to change that. It's not going to be a second later or, or, or before. So that's something that God has decreed. So if it happens, Allah decreed it, and it was going to happen. There's nothing that we could have done that was going to change it. Um, so this is, I mean, this is where Qadr, the whole idea of decree, uh, believing in decree, Qadr, really helps us deal with these kind of things because the comfort that we get as well, it was it was decreed, it was already decreed. That's why, you know, uh, you accept it, uh, you, know, that, uh, you know, Allah has decreed it and whatever he has, has well, we just kind of have acceptance of it. Uh, people tell me to use this time for Quran praying, but I can't concentrate for long periods of time. Um, well, if you... You know if, if 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 you are not a runner you're not going to be able to do a marathon tomorrow are you so the thing is if you're not used to spending all your time at home you you know no one's going to expect you to do quran for 10 hours straight um so the thing is all you do is you increase it and you can break it up it doesn't have to be reciting all the time you can be listening to it uh maybe listening to some tafsir all it is that you increase more than you were doing before and like um, the other two uh, guests have been saying, it's about structure, right? Nothing in excess is good, and, and we're, we're not robots either. So some people say, you know, just pray, make du'a, and that's it, and do zikr all day long. Um, it's, I mean, that's you can't just do that 24 hours. You have to balance your time, and the structure thing that they're talking about, that's something that Ghazari talks about, Imam Haddad talks about, they talk about structuring your day, there should be a set time for this and a set time for that and set time for everything means the set time, there's a set time for relaxation as well for, for for taking it easy for for um you know just taking your mind off things so that's also part of um the that's also part the, the the thing that should be structured in your, in your day it's not all you know hardcore stuff you need to rest as well sleep um as we're talking sleep is very important for your for your health um I'm a single mother with postnatal depression, and my family have shunned me. I'm at breaking point. Uh, Dr. Saira, any advice for that type of person? Um, yeah, so
2: if if you have depression or anxiety, if you already have mental problems, and continue doing what you what you would normally do. So if you speak to a GP for support, if you have a CPN, we are still doing that. You know, I'm still doing mental health reviews. I'm still. Increasing medication, taking people off medication. So again, it links in with the suicide question as well. Speak to your GP, speak to a healthcare professional. Um, that hasn't stopped. You know, you, you still need to access those services like you would normally do. So if you're struggling with your mental health, you need to speak to those uh, health healthcare uh, care professionals. Talk to people. We're, you may be physically isolated, but you can still ment- you can still connect. You know, again, we've got the medium to be able to do that. Talk to somebody. Talk to anybody pick up the phone to a friend, um, or obviously things like breathing space. We've got lots of resources, lots of websites that people can use. Talk to somebody, tell them how you're feeling. You need to voice those feelings so um, someone can help you. And so these are two things you can do. Talk to somebody and access the healthcare professional that you would normally do. Um, And number three, we also have a responsibility for everyone in our community. We have a responsibility to our family. We have a responsibility to our neighbors. So while you're at home, actually, I would suggest you make a list of, first, your family members that are vulnerable, people that you know that may be isolated. Have you checked in with your neighbours? Are they okay? You know, especially your elderly neighbours, especially those that are ill, connect with them. If you don't have their number, maybe just put a letter, you know, through their post box with your number on them so they can call you. We have a responsibility for these people. So if you know anyone that's isolated and vulnerable, reach out to them.
1: Mm-hmm. OK, uh, there's one thing about um, feeling helpless and anxious about parents, well being, As exciting. So As uh, we can post inshallah later. Um, <clears throat> I'm living, I think this is similar to what Dr. Syed is saying. I'm living with an abusive husband. How am I able to self isolate? Um, and also, there was a similar question about domestic abuse. Um, the, the, the advice would be just the normal services uh, that uh, would deal with that kind of stuff so like women's aid um, in, in Glasgow there's uh, a uh, Grave, who deal with a minority, ethnic minority, there's Shakti Aid the
2: Project as well
1: there's a Daisy Project as well in Glasgow Shakti Aid in, uh, in Edinburgh there's Amina, there's uh, obviously the police as well, I spoke to the, somebody in the police about this and they said yep, yeah, the normal um, uh, places that people would go, like the police are still there to deal with this kind of stuff so that is all uh, still there but something related to that is how should i self-isolate in a toxic household dr oman
0: okay you yeah, know i thought it's, it's interesting i thought the domestic abuse question might come up i mean i was just reading today actually that in china the cases of domestic abuse went up threefold during the whole coronavirus so again it's that idea of the vulnerability is still there and Duty for the you know person you know or for others to help be available, but also to try and support them as well.
1: I also and, read, about I don't know if that's I, I didn't check it. It was it was Daily Mail, so you know that 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 can take it with a big pinch of salt. But about the same thing with China, that divorce rates went up as well. I don't know if you read about that.
0: Right. And so, can you repeat the question? It was related to how so do the they self
1: isolate? A... Yeah, how do they self isolate in a toxic uh, household? Um,
0: I I think it's really difficult. I think it's, um, that everyone's situation will be different. I mean, if there is the opportunity for, even within a house, to find certain safe spaces or spaces that you can have to yourself. So if you're, for example, they've got access to a room where, you know, throughout the day you can go and um, just have a bit of me time or make those calls that you need to call, etc. Um, You know, because I'm just imagining, I guess, that there might be issues related to extended family and in-laws, etc., which might make that quite difficult. And so I think one is accepting that this is a really difficult situation um, and there won't be any easy answers. But it's trying to see, you know, how can I um, have a bit of me time? How can I have a time away from that toxicity, you know, um, uh, within if the physical space allows within the house? Um, finding the other avenues to connect with people to stay focused um but i think it's it's hard i think is looking at your you know your your networks around you to try and get a bit of support um i don't know saira you can add anything i mean, i think it's a really difficult situation and it's a very difficult question actually and, and i think i don't the, i
2: don't think we have the answers for that i i, I think um every situation is going to be very different and they need to access their support in the normal way that they would normally do, the situation may be worse for them. One of the suggestions I would make is that they check in with someone they trust on a daily basis. So they have a set time where they check in at two o'clock with a friend. And if that call doesn't happen, that that friend calls them. They have to put some sort of network or support or safety net in place. One of the things I said to my boys who are a bit older, they're teenagers, is for them to think about friends, so kids as well, that may be vulnerable, that may be in difficult situations. And I said, have a think about, you know, uh, uh, friends maybe that are in difficult families, drop them a text, just let them know that you're thinking of them, because that can be the difference between them coping and not coping when they just know that people are thinking of them and there's someone there to help. I, I do think that there's a it's a difficult question.
0: I don't know. Okay. I think there's a I think what we'll find over the coming weeks as well is more and more of these supports will be going online. So I, you know, I think there's, the, I know, um, there's patients that are accessing things like Alcoholics Anonymous. You know that you know they're already doing sort of calls you can dial into, and so I think more and more of these organisations and supports will move to an online platform because they recognise that um, it's a really important thing. Related to that side, I think, um, I think the young people are finding, you know, it's a really challenging time, particularly around teenagers and exams. Yeah. I think, you know, this is, you know, I remember how um, difficult a time it was in terms of, your, you know, your hires and your, you know, your, well, now it's your national fives and all this sort of stuff. that um, you know, that all being cancelled and those that were due to go to university. So I think it's a massively stressful experience for them. Um, and I think is making sure, you know, again, we're looking out after them, trying to support them as, you know, as friends, colleagues and adults. Um, and I think it's acknowledging the uncertainty for everyone, nobody has an answer, what's going to happen to university grades, what's going to happen to that. And it's just saying actually, you know, inshallah, things will work, work themselves out and you need to stay in a good frame of mind. And, you know, uh, be positive and see, you know, ha- deal with this situ- really difficult situation in the best way that you can.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, any advice for pregnant women and anxiety during this time? Anything particular to do with uh, pregnant women, side?
2: Um, I was going to say a man because that's a speciality, but um, <laughs> uh, so generally the guidelines from the obstetricians are that pregnant women are not doing any worse with COVID-19 than other people are. Mm-hmm. However, we also know that pregnancy does have effect on the immune system So I think, again, we're all in isolation anyway. So um, in terms of anxiety, um, everything we've spoke about is the same in terms of structure and routine, breathing, getting fresh air, getting some exercise. But again, you need to, you know, if it's not manageable, you need to speak to your GP, you need to get help in other ways. Um, And a man's the specialist in this area, so I'll let him answer the rest.
0: The the There's a number of guidelines um, that, are, uh, that are coming out and evolving, getting updated almost on a very regular basis, particularly around uh, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they've released a guidance document. And I think as Syrah said, at the moment there's no specific evidence in terms of any extra harm to pregnant women or any adverse outcomes in terms of the babies. Uh, you know. Um, so again, it's, it's taking a cautionary approach and they're one of the groups that, you know, trying to be sensible and trying to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, social distance as much as possible. But inshallah, all being well, you know, um, that, uh, th- there's no specific evidence so far really pointing to any particularly adverse outcomes for a lot of these mums.
1: Okay. There's also any particular du'as to be read in pregnancy? I can uh, get that arranged to be uploaded inshallah um, later. Um <clears throat> just something about uh mental health in the, in the asian community are they against taking medication when it comes to mental health and also um if they don't want to take antidepressants um how could they uh, how could it alleviate depression without taking medication?
0: Shall I start with that so you can go with it, yeah i um i think with anti so uh, it's, that's probably a whole big discussion. Generally, out with this context as well. But antidepressants can be used for multiple disorders, so re- not just for depression, but for anxiety disorders, for things like OCD, um, uh, panic disorder, etc., post-traumatic stress disorder. So antidepressants, you know, can be used for multiple things. And I think what we're really keen in mental health is um, uh, med- medication is not the be-all and end-all if it's indicated, and if it, you know often what you have to look at is what what the specific issues are for that person but usually the combination of um you know talking therapies which can be really helpful medications can be play a part in that uh, and then there's always good sort of well-being strategies as well so it often is seeing medication just one part of that medicines can be life-saving for some people um and uh, it's not a sign of failure it's not a sign of weak iman It's not a you know that you're a bad person or anything like that. If you need to go on medication, and there's a whole idea of stigma in mental health that you know a campaign that your mental health is just as important as your physical health, and so just like you know we don't have the stigma associated with somebody who takes an antibiotic for a chest infection or taking you know antihypertensive or you know insulin for the diabetes, similarly we shouldn't have a negative view of people that need antidepressants uh, for, or any other sort of um, uh, psychotropic medication for the mental health so it's really important to understand that it can be really important uh, as part of um, somebody's uh, treatment uh, if it's used properly um, it's not for everyone and it won't suit everyone but it has to be part of a wider package because one of the really important things is understanding what is the cause of that so when we even when we talk about depression you know there's so many different factors you know what we call like there's more endogenous depression which is you know has a large biological field to it but there's also you know things like what we call like almost reactive depressions reactive to your circumstances and what's going on in your life or often there's deep-rooted issues from your past you know and so these things mm-hmm. until you start addressing these those issues and uh, understanding them you know they need therapy as well so it's it's kind of different for different people, but medication is really important. If, if it's being prescribed by um, you know somebody qualified, your GP or your psychiatrist, then you should take it. The final thing I would just say about medication is that we're, uh, particularly around the Muslim community, Asian community, uh, we're pretty rubbish at taking them. So the way the medicines, uh, antidepressants work, they work over a long period of time. So they don't necessarily work straight away. So you don't just take them for a few days, it's usually weeks and months. And so if you're on it, you you need to take it and give it a chance. Um, And often what we'll do is people will take it and then stop it, or as soon as they feel better, they'll stop it and then they get worse again. And it's like a yo-yo effect, you know. So the idea is take the medical advice and and if you need it, then it can be really helpful. But you know, if you don't need it, then there's other strategies as well.
1: I think the other thing is that um it's important to know what is a depression, what's the definition of a depression because sometimes we all have down weeks, um when we're feeling a bit low. It doesn't mean that we're we're clinically depressed. Um so we all have difficult times in our lives when things are you know, you're you're feeling low that particular week. I think that's important to to remember and also um there's all these other things like exercise, breathing, etc. But um there's no harm in taking medication and doing like spiritual, um, you could say medication in, in that sense, in that sense that, for example, praying on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on the Prophet, on the Prophet is, is very helpful um, for somebody in that kind of state, but that doesn't mean that, that you have to just do one or the other, you can do both at the same time. Um, okay, um, how can psychosis be cured? I think that's a difficult, that's a, that's that's not really we're not gonna we're not gonna answer that uh, in a facebook live i think that's a, a difficult uh, question but is there a one liner doctor man you can say <laughs> for that
0: so psychosis is usually a description of um symptoms which can include things like um hallucinations so like hearing things seeing things um that are not real uh, um but also it can be what we call delusion so we start having you know people can have false beliefs or misinterpreting things and whether that becomes overly paranoid etc Um, there can be lots of causes of psychosis so sometimes there's physical health problems can cause psychosis um, there's various underlying mental health disorders etc so it's really
1: I think, I think one of the, the, the probably the, one of the difficulties sorry to interrupt you there is is that in so that people who have these kind of issues or maybe um like say the clinically depressed or the recycles or whatever it is obviously now they're in a situation where things are even more difficult so it's like added pressure so is there anything that we any advice that that we could give for those kind of more um affected by this mentally so i
0: i think if any of your symptoms are having an impact on your daily life to the extent where you're struggling to function so all of our lives are affected at the moment but for example, you know, if you're becoming so psychotic that, you know, you're struggling to, um, you know, or, you know, you're overactive or you're agitated constantly, or you're so depressed that you're not eating or you're not sleeping or you're thinking is so negative, you know, you're kind of isolating yourself even from others in the household, you're staying in bed all day. You know, these are things that even within, uh, you know, which suggest that it's kind of a, a an illness which is of a moderate or severe extent that you need help. Mm-hmm. So, the help I mean, the help is still there. All we're saying is the way people are getting help, the NHS, for example, it's all just changing, it's changing very rapidly at the moment. So, it's not the case that all of that has stopped, it's just changing. So, you right. need to bear with the NHS to some extent, but you know, your GP is still available for phone calls, mental health teams are still available. Um, often, what they're doing at the moment, and particularly in Glasgow, is a lot of phone calls and video conferencing like this um, and okay. where they can do assessments remotely and then you know you need to you can still get the right help so i think that's really important you don't have to deal with this on your own um i don't know whether you want to say something about conspiracy theories Sheikh, <laughs> or, or Saira, because uh, that illuminati thing i don't know that, that's, i don't think that's a
1: mass psychosis but a lot of those things are people well, conspiracy really theories the, the virus was like put there by the illuminati or something
0: or the Americans, or but, the biological uh, weapon?
2: I will I will comment on that. We're talking about anxiety, obviously, and fear and cer- uncertainty. It goes back to that whole thing of don't worry about things you can't control. Like, it's here now. Stick to what you can control and the reality that you're living with, where it came from. Like If we start worrying and thinking about that, it just adds more fear. So my personal opinion is... What does it matter? And forget that just now, and just look after yourself, and look after the family, and look after your neighbours, and all those vulnerable in our community. We've got so much other stuff to put our energy towards.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And the thing is, even if it is a, even if it was, whoever did it, right, it's still happened by the will of God. So (laughs) Allah still allowed it, and willed it to happen. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. So that's not. uh, I don't think we should. I don't don't think any benefit of knowing whether it was this or that. It uh, doesn't change your reality. I'm dealing with depersonalization. Do you have any advice on how to deal with this? Uh, Dr. Sire, you want to talk about that?
2: Um, again, something a man may comment on, but it, it's a symptom of anxiety and stress. So it, it can be a normal feeling, uh, you know, uh, when you're feeling anxious or when you're feeling stressed. And it's that feeling of everything doesn't feel real. You don't feel part of what's going on. And I think that's understandable if you're feeling like that because we're all having a sense of this, you know, like you're. it's almost like we're watching a film and we're not really, you know, living it. Um, again, I think all the strategies that we talked about, about how to deal with anxiety, how to deal with stress, how to limit those things are really important. Have a structure, you know, think about, control what you can control, i.e. your own home environment. Don't worry about the things that you can't uh don't block your worries though put time aside to you know go through them distracting distraction techniques um if you're feeling a lot of anxiety and the strategies we've talked about aren't enough speak to your gp speak to somebody um keep connecting with other people again you know with uh, the with social media and with you know all these all these platforms that we have keep connection with family and friends and um, so yeah it can be a normal symptom of anxiety and stress.
1: Okay, so you've already
0: answered that. So can I I ask you a question? Um, What would your message be to um, uh, a lot of the healthcare workers and NHS staff uh, who are on the front line? So perhaps me less so, but people like the GPs, pharmacists, people in uh, A&E, et cetera, um, who are really putting themselves at risk really, you know, and whether that's a wider issue of equipment, but also a lot of unknowns. Um how can they because I think a lot of them are feeling quite stressed and vulnerable at the moment both for themselves and the families mm. and particularly in our community and some of them you know there'll be two doctors in the household or a doctor and a pharmacist etc Um, can you give a message to them because I think they might find that helpful to
1: I think um, I, I think I mean I, I think there was on my Instagram I put them in the hadith that I mentioned about sitting in your home getting the reward of a shaheed and it was something somebody on my Instagram that basically said what well, about uh, the people like herself, who are in the front line. I said, look, if that's the reward you get for sitting in your house, what about the people that are putting themselves in danger and uh, helping other people? So obviously the reward is going to be um, a lot more uh, for those type of people. So for those type of people, we should all be making du'a actually for them, that um, Allah enables them and gives them and protects them and allows them to do their job. And whatever way we can support them, you should, whether it's through just moral support or... Um, helping them you know to make their maybe their family life a bit better, so we could offer to like you know do the shopping for them or whatever i mean whatever they whatever we can do to free them up uh and um and also to just show our general appreciation uh to them and the British board of uh, scholars and imams they, they produce something on um and um you know the latest kind of guidance on like washing and and beru and stuff they actually mentioned healthcare professionals, they said, and they described them interestingly, as those who guard, um, the, the, so basically rabat is like the people who would like guard the kind of the, the borders from attack from the enemy. And they, they described them like that. They said, you're, you're that kind of level, you know, so they, they have a, a high position inshallah, and they'll get uh, immense reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're all making dua for them. And may Allah protect them and um, give them tawfiq inshallah um, So there's a, a question about the repeat. Can you can you repeat the hadith? What I will do is I will uh, put the hadith, um, or I'll put I'll put it up, inshallah so that everyone can can read it again. But basically the hadith. Um, I'll, let me just read it so that um, the whole thing. So basically, as uh, in Sahih Bukhari. And um, it says a plague was um, a punishment which Allah used to send to whomever he wished. So it can be a, a punishment so, you know, for, for sinful people, but Allah made it a blessing for the believers at Rahmah. And none among you remains patient um, in a land which a plague has broken out in another narration. It says uh, if the person in the type of the epidemic stays in their home patiently, uh, hoping for God's reward and believing that nothing will afflict them. Except what God has written for them, they will get the reward of uh, a martyr. Um, and, and Ibn Haji, like I said, had said that even if the person doesn't pass away, the fact that they stayed in their homes. So that's in Bukhari. Um, also there's a, a question for me here about how authentic is the hadith that there are five types of deaths which are considered shaheed martyr. A friend of mine is adamant only those who die in the way of Allah are shaheed. And other other cat criteria. I drowning is not true. So basically, there there are two types of shaheed in our tradition. There's what's called al dunya and shahidul akhira. Shahidul dunya is basically those who died on the battlefield. Um, they're 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 buried the way they are. They're not given the They're not given a shroud, um, and they're prayed over. And the, the the hadith says that you know their uh, entire sins are forgiven. Then you have Shaheed Al-Akhira, which is basically, we treat them in the dunya, in the world, like a normal person. So we wash them, we shroud them, we bury them, but they they are similar to a Shaheed in the Akhira. And uh, Imam Suyoti, in fact, mentions 30 categories. He's got a, a whole treatise on it, mentions 30 different categories. Amongst them are somebody who died in a plague, for example, somebody who tried drowning somebody, who um a pregnant woman uh, a woman who died in dirt uh, in and uh, you know childbirth. In, yeah childbirth so all those all those kind of categories are mentioned there so there's hadith about them um so the person uh, is is is, is conflating the Shahidul al and Shahidul Dunya with two um okay can you so this is a, a hadith about afflictions um that Allah wa ta'ala, you know gives afflictions to a person in this world so that the punishment is less in the next world. Everything that happens in this world, any suffering, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, wipes our sins away. So that's why when we do have illness, when we do have difficult times, um sometimes it's a cleansing, it's a clean which is why the hadith or the dua that we're supposed to make when someone's ill, one of them is la bat's tahuran insha'Allah. Like la bats basically means okay it's all purification for you um so this is about can we discuss making will making and funeral plans by any chance and that's the thing that like we we should have we, we should have normally been thinking about making a will anyway i mean we're not going to stay here forever um and also our funeral plans. so yes you should uh make a will uh you should um have uh, plans especially um let's like say for example if you've got non-muslim relatives and and um, there's a danger of being cremated or something like that so you should put stipulate in the will and people should know about it so that if that happens they know what to do. The situation at the moment um, from what's uh, what, what we're finding out is that there's a lot of um, uh, conflating opinions um, amongst the Imams and stuff about what to do about the deceased people should be washed them should you do tayammum. So, uh, based on the guidelines that that they've been given, if there are stringent conditions, PPE um, guidelines, you know, you say you've got protective, um, uh, all the protective gear and you do it properly, technically, yes, um, it also could be done, um, but that's all about whether our mosques have that capacity to do that. So uh, theoretically, yes, but it's about practically whether it can be done. If it can't be done, then they're saying, uh, and you can bury uh, in the bag and there's some scholars of the opinion that they and, and there should be no whistle at all and you should just um, um, you know, take them to the graveyard and, and should,
2: would, would, you, would, you, would you agree though um, with those differing opinions that there's no right or wrong answer that they're all you know they're all okay depending on the situation the context the resources in that locality and different localities may be doing things differently and that's okay?
1: Yeah I think every every locality has got to make their own, local scholars have to make their own decisions based on what the situation is where they are. Remember these are unprecedented events so nobody two weeks, if you said two weeks ago by the way all the mosques are going to close, they're going to no Jummah, you know you nobody would have believed you so this is like it's never happened before. Like I said when Omar was on the way to Syria and the plague had uh, had broken out they didn't know should we go, should we not go, it was unprecedented so you know, it's it's natural that you have differing opinions, and so it's natural that we have different opinions among scholars as well. They're trying their best to come up with an answer. So those who are are, are saying like try to do the minimal, they're saying well if you know we can do, we can um t- tick all these boxes, then we should try our best to do that. If that's not possible, in some localities it won't be then just to termum, and if that's not possible, then you know there's no there's no They're all uh basing on something and I think it comes down to every wherever you are what the capacity of the community is and also this is now if um you know the the death rate starts to go up and there's lots of janazas to do then it's going to become very impractical because remember it's going to take a lot longer to do also than it would have done in the past because you've got to wipe everything down etc so it might get to a point where it becomes impractical but this is a thing that we do um, what we can um, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inshallah, will accept it um, from all of us you wouldn't feel that I couldn't do the ghusl for my loved one or whatever because that's what we're seeing and we're limited with what we see but from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the, from, if you could see from the other side you'd, you'd, you'd see that's actually better than having a, a normal ghusl for example so it's all about perspective and we, we only have a limited perspective so I don't think we should we should stress too much about it So um, stressed about the health of a loved one, find it hard to focus on anything at all, especially when they're in pain. Uh, You know, it's like anyone who's sick. We we we. There's certain du'as that we do for them. We make du'a for them, um, and that's and and everything's in the hands of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So just the normal way, if a sick person, you'd visit them. So we can't visit them. We phone them um we and also ask the sick person to make the offer you so that's one of the etiquettes and um if you can help them in any way give them words of comfort um and uh, remember that you know all of us eventually everyone has to depart from this world we, none of it, none of this is going to last forever the world's not going to last forever either can, can you I, can yes? i just
2: say something something on that um I, one of the harsh realities that we need to think about is that loved ones may pass away on their own without their family around them and we should think about that situation how we would deal with it and in a practical sense as well you know having some sort of phone that they could video call and be able to do surya Yaseen do the Kalama you know these are things that we might have to think about because it's going to happen um, yeah,
1: I think I think we will do everything that we normally used to do just in a different way yeah. so you know if, if so like when you read say for example Yasin for the see you went to the mosque and they all read uh, a juz of the Qur'an right if you all sit in your house and read a juz of the Qur'an the Qur'an is still going to be read it's just a different way a different way we're doing it so we can still do all the condolences of source um, reading the Qur'an all the stuff that we used to do normally, but just in a different, um, different medium. So we might have to do it through phones, you know, calling people and saying, um, you know, sad to hear about such and such, and may you know, give you sabbath and so on. So we just have to do it through a different. We have to just adapt to the situation um, that we're that we're in. Um, can you perhaps comment on how Muslims can process the bere- bereavement of a loved one? And like, okay, so we kind of talked about. Um, that and I, I mean it is understandably it is going to cause grief and there's nothing wrong with grieving there's nothing wrong with feeling sad there's nothing wrong with shedding tears and wishing you want everybody wants the best for their loved ones but what I'm, what I'm saying is that that according to our you know our limited um, capacity we think the best thing might be for them to have a thousand people at their, at their janazah but from Allah's perspective it could be that for the for for five people to be there for the for the Janazah, right? So we don't know, um, but you know we we have that comfort at least that uh, somebody who dies in the in in this uh, whole time, inshallah, is is um, is going to the next world in a good state, inshallah. Um, how are frontline staff working, managing, living in multiple? generational households where the elderly vulnerable also living should one or one or the other isolate in another household? Um Sarah, you want to answer that?
2: Um okay so I think it every situation is going to be very different. And first of all it, it depends on what your own personal risk is so what kind of you know what is your job yeah, um, just,
1: let, let me let me just ask the next question because it's related. It says um I have that issue I'm a key worker but the nursery is shut so if my mum and dad watch my daughter that's because, that's difficult because they're elderly and my dad has health issues so going and collecting each day puts them at risk. So, yeah.
2: so if you're a key worker or friendly worker exactly what is your risk? Um, and I can only give you an example for myself. Last week we were expected to see people with suspected COVID with very poor equipment like I'm talking about surgical masks and gloves which you know many are saying it's not going to protect us but this week as of Monday we have what a COVID hub's established so there's going to be you know GPs working in these COVID hubs so the GPs in the community don't have to see um, people that are suspected of having COVID so my risk has decreased Yeah, so it depends on you have to judge as a key worker, as a frontline worker, what actually is your job and what is your risk associated with that job? Because it could be that, you know, you are able to maintain a two metre distance from other people, depending on what your job is. So you should first of all say what is your own risk? And then if you're living in a family where people have chronic disease or are elderly, yes, I would advise that you keep your distance from them. As much as possible because there's such a thing as called viral load which means the more virus that you pass on to them the more chances of them getting the infection and it for it to be serious so for you to pass them in the corridor may be okay but for you to sit next to them in a sitting room for three hours is a different situation altogether so yeah i would suggest if you have if you're living with family members that are vulnerable to keep yourself away from them as much as possible so in a in a extended family that you should be doing that um, and keep yourself protected as, as much as possible. Use the PPE that they've given you. Follow guidelines. Um, personal hygiene, extremely important. When you come back home from work, take your clothes off. Um, so what I've been saying to, what I say to staff at work is bring clothes with you to wear at work. So when you leave, you change back into, you know, a different pair of clothing. Put your your scrubs or your dirty clothes in a in a carry bag and straight into the washing machine at a high temperature. So take all these precautions so you're decreasing your own risk. And, and yeah, look after the people that are home with you. In terms of the the nursery question, again, it, it, you know it depends on your circumstances. Can you financially afford to be off? You know, how old are your parents? Do they have chronic disease? What is your job? so all you know that whole context really needs to be evaluated and you need to make that personal decision
0: can i can i also just um yeah. so although we t- you know talk about front frontline healthcare workers i think there's also lots of other um employees that are really out there keeping people going so you know even if, you know they're making adaptations in supermarkets etc so you know a lot of delivery drivers a lot of people you know at checkouts etc because We'll, we still need all those functions, so yeah, you know it's about they're taking precautions and also you know I think credit to them as well, um to keep you know the rest of the economy you know the people going because you know people still need those elements to survive. So I think um, yeah, and they, and they protective
2: equipment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think some supermarkets are putting up screens, you know, that they'll be sitting behind. So it's you know every you know looking at your employer and your situation to try and limit you know the direct contact with that,
1: keeping that social distancing. Uh, Dr Aman about the elderly um, how do we help the elderly with their mental health and also um, obviously with with modern technology they're not so up-to-date um, so they may not be used to using a mobile uh, phone and they're used to seeing people in person so there's very, a lot of changes for them mm-hmm. uh, and maybe they're not as aware of what's going on because they don't have as much access to information as younger people. What what advice would you give people to how to support their elderly?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really difficult and I I guess I don't know that, you know, um the answers around this I guess is thinking through, you know, obviously, particularly around, you know, whether they've got you know, usually they're quite used to maybe seeing the the children and grandchildren or people around them or being quite independent. Some of them um, and particularly the ones that maybe live alone. So I think it's again trying to support them and keep in touch with them. Um I know like some of my colleagues were saying, you know, you know, they've got elderly mothers who live on their own and like the neighbors would be popping in or just leaving milk out for them, you know, and make sure they've got enough supplies. Um so I think that's one aspect. I think the other aspect, you know, it's still it's not too late to you know, you can still get order off Amazon or online and get them a tablet or something sent and then somehow, you know, trying to show them how to use it. So I think it's a steep learning curve, but it's really saying, look, actually, you know, this, this could go on for three months or so at least. And so, you know, a lot of these things you see, a lot of elderly can pick it up. Um, I, I think there's also the element, particularly around the Muslims and people from the, sub, you know, uh, with you know, heritage in other countries. I think they'll be anxious about their relatives in other countries as well. So you know what's going on in Pakistan or India or you know these other places. So I think, again, having giving them an outlet uh, is really important for them to share some of their concerns and the worries. But also, trying to find some means of distraction and structure for them. So I do. I do know it's really hard at the moment. And I think as a community, as a society, we're kind of evolving in terms of how we do that. I think it's important to remind them. You know, they can still go outside. You know, they you know go in the garden. You know, if they've got a field nearby, you know, as long as you maintain your social distancing, that exercise, that mobility is important. Because what I'm worried about a little bit is that, you know, they just sit in their room in front of the TV and, you know, just think they can't do anything for three months, you know, and that where, you know,
1: they'll cause other yeah, complications. So uh, yeah, so it's important to explain to them what they can do and, and, not, and, and not just concentrate on what they can't do
2: we an we were, we have some elderly neighbors down the road and when we went for a walk we saw a woman standing at the window outside and talking to the couple inside so you know, she must have been a relative so that, just from a practical point of view you can you know you can do that visit them for and chat to them from from outside just just seeing just for them to see you um and make that connection can could you pick up
1: could you, could you pick up your mom, your mom's favorite dal that way
2: yeah, she'll put it in a letterbox, It's fine. <laughs> My mum's
1: actually in Pakistan at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got a few people in Pakistan as well, stuck. Um, okay, Jazakallah khair. There's a, just a, a question or two um, I'm going to just um, uh, mention and then we'll wrap up, inshallah ta'ala. Um, so thank you so much, Jazakallah. khair. I've been speaking to a doctor and his family, are non-Muslim, find it so difficult that got the diagnosis of COVID-19 who's a doctor in London but wife is in Glasgow, we're discussing if you travel back home to be with the family, as feeling slightly better. What do you say to someone who has COVID-19 and is a non-Muslim? What do you say to the families? You would basically be a human being. You'd be nice, um, you uh, you know, you say, I hope you hope you recover, hope you get better. Thank you very much. You appreciate everything they're doing. Um, just the, the normal thing we would do for, for anybody um, so just the, the fact that the non-Muslims shouldn't change it the way we, we behave, inshallah. Um, is there any basis for cremation being allowed in certain situations with lots of burials? Again, you know, um, it's it's important not to get ahead of ourselves and start thinking about what if this happens, what if that happens. There's a a very good um, piece, um, a document that's come out by the British Board of Scholars and Imams, which I mentioned before. Very comprehensive. Uh, and they mention lots of different options in that. Um, so, like I said, they're talking about the hustle. Do we go for Thema? Do we leave the ghusl, Then they even talked about burials and uh, what happens. It gets to a point where you know it's, it's too, it's too much. There's lots of options where you can um, have multiple people buried in the same grave, and they talk about all the different kind of scenarios. So that, inshallah, I can we can put that up and uh, for you guys to um, access and um, read that in your own time. Um, so basically, we we uh, adapt. As and when the situation uh, requires. So the, at this point in time, we're not at the point where we're going to be cremating anybody. Um, and alhamdulillah we got that uh, amended in the legislation that there will not be automatic cremation. They, they will ask, um, you know, um, uh, um, permission and, and seek advice. However, I think in the legislation, if I'm not correct, if I'm not uh, uh, mistaken. Um, Eventually the the you know the government does have, if in an emergency situation, if it's like a, you know, a, a, a hazard to health, it gets out of control and it's going to lead to other people dying, they, they can overrule everything if they have to. And we know in, in Islamic law, we have that uh, principle, the legal maximum that necessity can make the impermissible permissible. So if you're dying and you, the only thing you have to drink to keep yourself alive is, is a bottle of wine then the, the haram becomes halal for you for that particular purpose. So everything which is impermissible can become permissible, where necessity dictates. Um, so necessity dictates that we bring this to an end, otherwise we'll be going on um, for a long time. We've been uh, talking for two hours. Want to thank both my guests for taking the time out um, and engaging in this, this topic. I think it's a very important topic. I'm sure we'll probably revisit it. And it's something that, um, you know, there'll be more and more questions arising over time. Ramadan is also coming today is the first of Sha'aban, so we're only one one month away from Ramadan, so that's something, inshallah, to look forward to. That's something I'm going to be talking about um, also, uh, inshallah, in the near future, about getting ourselves ready for Ramadan. Also, we will be looking a bit more closer at the whole issue of uh, death, burial, bereavement, all the questions that people uh, and anxieties they have around that topic, uh, inshallah, very soon either myself or Sheikh Rudwan will be looking at that in another Facebook Live. So until then, jazakallah khair, shukran. Be safe. Be positive. Um, you know, when you speak to your elders, when you speak to your siblings, speak positive. You know, raise people's spirits and hopes, um, and try to stay away from any negativity as much as possible. Thank you very much, Dr. Aman, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Saira. Is there anything you two guys want to say uh, before we sign off, inshallah?
2: Yeah, can, can I just say that the vast majority of us will be absolutely fine, inshallah, and inshallah we will emerge out of this much stronger as a community, as, a, as individuals. So use your energy wisely, use your energy to look after yourself, and use your energy to look after the ones that will find, you know, for physical reasons, for emotional reasons, that are going to struggle, you know, through... Build your resilience up so you can support those people because you know the we, we, majority of us will be okay, but we need to look after the others that might not. Yeah.
0: Dr. Mann, uh, yeah, and and I think just the final couple of things I would just maybe mention. One is, I think it's really important just to break things down into focusing on today, tomorrow, the next few days, and just Absolutely. take it one step at a time. um The nature of anxiety is you're thinking a hundred steps ahead, and we don't know that, so break things down. What can you what are you gonna do tomorrow for you and your family? What are you gonna do this weekend? um, and break it down. And also look at actually, although the reality is that it's a really difficult time, you know, what are the positives? I mean, even just on the last thing about the cremations you're talking about. I was thinking look, you know, there's an element of actually we've got these scholarly bodies, the BBSI, you've got a lot of good communication from the British Islamic Medical Association. So there are the sense of the community coming together, producing you know, scholars coming together, producing guidance and I think that gives me a, a degree of confidence as well that inshallah um you know the community you know but as a society Muslim and non-Muslim that we'll get through this mm-hmm. and inshallah um you know come out hopefully stronger and there will have been benefit for many of us uh, as well as difficulty for all of us.
1: Yeah and and I think absolutely that there's gonna be a lot of you'll see there's there'll be a lot of khair that will come out of this. Um, and um, inshallah you know with the days that when the mosques do get open you appreciate going to the mosque when you do get to see your your parents again physically you'll be probably kissing their hands kissing their face everything you know you appreciate things that maybe we weren't really um, thinking about before we didn't really appreciate all Allah Taala's blessings that he gives us every day, uh, you know, day after day after day. And now that a few of them, and I I, I uh, uh, stress only a few of them, have been taken away, we realize, you know, subhanAllah, the the great blessings. And also something to think about is how attached we are to these things. You know, is our attachment um, to the world the way it should be? Is this this the right, um, have we got the the balance correct? Uh, If it's completely throwing us offline, to, you know a few things to be taken away is our attachment to the world the correct balance is Allah teaching us that you listen you've got that attachment slightly wrong you need to um, fine tune it you there's certain things that you've you you're not thinking about and you need to start thinking about I think this is a huge Allah is, I think giving us a huge opportunity here he's uh, you know waking us up he's he's making us think he's making his review um, and that you know, is is a big blessing because, you know, if if, if you know, it's almost like you get a, a a warning sign, and then that makes you reflect. And if you come out of this stronger, as a better person, um and the community comes out of it with, uh, you know, like I'm saying, working more together, more unified, then a lot of that is, uh is Alhamdulillah, is, is positive. So stay, uh, stay well, stay positive. Um, do be good to yourself, be good to other people, be kind, be generous, uh, make lots of dua, um, do tawbah, you know, turn to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, talk to God, um, use this time wisely that He's given you every day. It's an opportunity. The next few months, uh, we're going to be at home, use that as an opportunity, see what you can get done in that time. You may not get this time ever again, um, like this again, so look at it from that perspective, and may Allah. Bless everyone. Wa salallahu alayhi wa wa